Heavenly Father, this morning as we open your word, I ask that you will crack the door of every one of our hearts. May you speak straight to each one of us individually. May you push us and challenge us. May you dream for us. May we have a clear vision of our lives through your eyes. So bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of us in this room are very familiar with Facebook. Probably most of us have Facebook But long before there was Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or Instagram, there was something called, here's the logo on the screen for you. Anybody know what that is? Come on, millennials, MySpace. Oh, the greatest invention of all time. In fact, I was a very late adopter to MySpace. Uh, I was a senior in college. All my other friends had MySpace and I didn't have it. I think I was put off by the idea of Uh, not face-to-face connections, more just this virtual socially thing, Uh, but finally peer pressure kicked in and I got MySpace. And it was the coolest thing ever for like a week because everyone went to Facebook as soon as I got on MySpace. (laughs) And it was, it was, it was mind-blowing. Everyone had their personal profile page. You could do anything you wanted and it would, it was just you out on the internet. You could download themes, polka dots, cars, whatever your kind of thing was. You have a beautiful theme of it, post pictures. The, the coolest thing of MySpace that I thought was simply that you could take a song, any song, and you could post it on your MySpace page and it would autoplay so that if anyone opened your profile, they would hear your music that you wanted them to hear. And it was cool because we could change it as much as we wanted. You know this, some of you that are like, I don't know, in that 30 to 40 range maybe. That's a very small window. Uh, you could change the song anytime you wanted, depending on your mood. If you were in a happy mood, maybe you'd, uh, maybe you'd upload some Britney Spears or some Backstreet Boys maybe. Come on, somebody. I, I'm feeling very lonely up here like I'm the only millennial here. <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you, yes. <laughs> or if, maybe if you're kind of sad, maybe a little depressed, you might go ahead and open, uh, upload something a little more darker, maybe some Linkin Park or some Creed. Somebody? Thank you. There's friends here. I love this. The coolest part of it was that you could change it on a whim. Whatever song you had on there, a couple of clicks with your mouse would change your song depending on your mood, depending on whatever you wanted. All of a sudden, you're a different person. Your song has changed. People now know you differently. It was almost like MySpace could be the soundtrack for your life. If you could listen to your soundtrack of your life, what songs would be on the playlist? What artists or bands would you put on your playlist, your soundtrack? What music genre describes you? What's the song of your life? What's the soundtrack to your life? Now here's where I get dangerous. Pray for me, church. Because I think some of you have lived life in a, uh, a good way and you look back at life and think, boy, I've, I've lived life well and your soundtrack sounds like this. The Brandenburg Concerto, Johann Sebastian Bach. I've played this song many times. Ah, just enjoying life. That's your soundtrack. Others of you <clears throat> have lived life and uh, it's kind of been struggles. You've been on the struggle bus quite a while, and your soundtrack sounds more like this. I need somebody. Help. 
I'm getting an email. Somebody has that played the Beatles in the Adventist church. Send it. msmith at forestlake.org. <laughs> Some of you, um, you have a soundtrack of the one that I want, and it sounds kind of like this. Because all I do, all I, all I, all I, all I do is Somebody probably had a heart attack somewhere this morning. <laughs> oh, we got more. Should we keep going? Okay, all right. We're just broadening the net. We're making the net bigger this morning. Okay, how about this? This is just mean, but um, some of you that are extreme extroverts, like you just love to be around people, you have to have people around you, or those of you that are single, this might be your soundtrack. Celine Dion. That's just mean. That's mean. Definitely getting fired after this next one here. Um, <laughs> some of you, the moment you took the very first breath as you came out of the womb and you you breathe in oxygen and you thought, world, here I am. It's been nonstop dynamite in your life. You walk into the room and explosions happen. If that's you, this is your soundtrack right here. Terrible. I chose not to show the music video on that one. <laughs> You're laughing because you've seen the video. Um, some of you may be a little older, and you've been through a whole lot in your life, and you're just kind of winding down, and you're just, you're just kind of dying, and so you, this is your soundtrack. The goal of life, staying alive. Terrible. Some of you, uh, you can relate to, <laughs> no disco in church, please, thank you. <laughs> Uh, some of you can relate to this because it's a regular happening. It happens every day, and your soundtrack sounds like this. Because you had a bad day, you take the one down, you sing a sad song just to turn it around. You said you don't go, you tell me don't lie, you work in a smile, and you go for a ride. You had a bad day. Had a bad day. Whatever the song of your soundtrack is, can you change it? Can you click, click like on MySpace and all of a sudden you have a new song? And more importantly, can you change it to the song that God wants to put in your heart so that your life sings for Him? This morning, as we look at a song, may you hear the song that God has chosen for your life. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open them to Psalm chapter 40. We're going to look at a, a, just a, a short couple of verses, not even the whole psalm. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you. It's a blue book, and you can follow along on page 400 where you can read the same words that I'll be reading, or you can use your phone or whatever you'd like. I love the book of Psalms. David, the king, he gets the credit for writing this, and he wrote most of the psalms in there. Uh, what an incredible guy. And when you read the book of Psalms, it's kind of hard to read because it's like his personal diary is spilled out for you to read. And there's highs and there's lows and there's ups and there's downs. And it's hard to read because it relates to us so much because that's what life looks like with emotional roller coasters that we all have. 
And David writes the good things and the hard things. He writes of victory. He writes of, of depression. Sometimes it's, uh, he's scared and he's running. And all throughout the Psalms, you'll hear his soundtrack of his life. The Hebrews, they, would, they, they call this book the Book of Praises. In fact, the Hebrew word for the title of this book is the word Hallel. And you know that word well because we say Hallelujah. As we dive into Psalm chapter 40, see if you can hear the hallelujah in these lyrics to David's song. Psalm chapter 40, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. And we pause there for a moment because David, he tells us what his song is. He says, I waited and I waited, and I waited, and I patiently waited for the Lord. I just kept on waiting for Him, and He heard my cry to help, cry for help. And it's a natural application for you and me because I think so many of us have been in the same situation, in the same story as David, waiting on the Lord, listening for Him, waiting for Him, and your soundtrack would sound just like David's soundtrack, and it would sound like this. Waiting. We keep on waiting on the world to change. There it is again, just in case you missed it before. John Mayer, by the way, waiting on a job, waiting on a spouse, somebody here this morning, waiting on a diagnosis. Maybe you're waiting on an answer. You keep asking the same question over and over again. Maybe you're waiting for pain to go away. You're waiting, just waiting, patiently waiting for God to move to the next part of your life. A few years ago, when I was pastoring in Marietta, there was a wonderful, incredible young woman. Her name was Sharon Tomlinson. Here's a picture of her. She's just beautiful, inside and out. I got to journey with her quite a while and ended up baptizing her, and, and she just incredible person. And while this picture shows her as a beautiful, healthy woman, she was sick. She was fighting for her life because she had cancer. She fought and fought and fought. And as we talked, she would say, Pastor Matt, I don't know how much I have left in me. I have no appetite. When I eat, everything tastes like metal. When I touch anything cold, it hurts me. She lost half her body weight. She keeps fighting. Not only that, but the devil would attack her even more. And the devil hates God, and he knows that the best way to get at God is to hurt the people that God loves the most. And so, on the first part of her cancer, her mom dies. A week later, her dad dies. A few months later, her brother dies. And when I called her and talked with her, she said, Pastor Matt, I'm just waiting. I don't know what's next. I'm waiting for this cancer to either kill me or be gone. I'm waiting for the next thing that the devil's going to throw at me, and I don't know what it looks like, but I'm just waiting, and I hate this waiting. I wish that God would just show me and reveal to me what's going to happen to me, what the future looks like, and how he'll prosper me and give me hope. And Sharon's life sounds like David's life as he patiently waits for God. You know David, he starts with this, this shepherd boy, and he, he gets called to go fight a giant, and he goes, and he puts on the armor, and he kills the giant. 
and his fame starts to rise. And as, he, as he's welcomed into Saul's home, Saul tries to kill him over and over again. At one point, David, he goes out of battle and he comes back and the whole nation rallies behind him and they say, David has killed 10,000s and Saul's only killed thousands. And that was it for Saul. From that day forward, he just wanted to kill David. And so the great chase happens as, as Saul is chasing David, trying to find him, trying to kill him. They're out in the desert running around and Saul has to use the restroom and there's no porta-potties or, or rest stops in the desert. And so he finds a cave and he goes into this cave. It's the same cave that David's in. And as Saul does his business, David is there. David's men are there. And they say, finally, David, you have the answer you've been waiting for. You've been waiting and waiting. Here it is. He's right here in front of you. Kill him. And because David trusts the anointing of God to a human in the King Saul. He says, I won't do it. And so he slides up next to him and he, he takes his knife and he cuts out just a, a portion of fabric, proof that he could have killed him. And the chase continues there at En Gedi. I've been to En Gedi. It's a beautiful place. I know there's some of you that are planning on a trip to Israel soon. It's a pretty incredible place. It's, it's this kibbutz, this self-sustaining community that, that just kind of hangs out over the Dead Sea. In fact, when we were at the Dead Sea, here, here's a picture of us. It's a scandalous photo. If the songs didn't kill me, this one sure is. <laughs> I even had a little bit of hair back in the day. Look at there. Beautiful water. You just, it's just crazy. It's full of salt and minerals. You just sit back in it and you just float to the surface. It's the coolest experience ever. Just up the hill from the Dead Sea, like a three-minute car ride. That's how close it is. You end up in the modern city, town, not even a city. It's just a few hotel rooms and a, and a restaurant, maybe, of En Gedi. And the night that we stayed there, we stayed in this hotel room. Here's a picture. Looking out, it doesn't do it justice, but it's just this gorgeous desert scene. There were mountain goats, mountain sheep, whatever they're called over there, running around. We just... We slept with the windows open as we gazed out at this beauty. And somewhere out here is where David is being chased by Saul. He's patiently crying for God to reveal the next step. But listen how David describes this time of waiting. Let's read verse 1 and then verse 2. It says this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. I love that David uses the word slimy. That's just a cool word to use. He could have just said pit, but he calls it a slimy pit. Probably most of your translations say slimy pit. Some would say pit of despair, pit of destruction, maybe the dangerous or desolate pit. In Hebrew, it literally means the pit of noise. It's like David's life is this awful, screeching silence. He's just waiting. He's in this pit of noise where the only thing that he can hear is his heartbeat in his ears as he's listening for God's voice, but it's not there. He's listening for a response, but he can't hear anything. He's listening for direction, but there's no guidance. He's listening for anything, but he can't hear and the soundtrack to his life in those moments in the pit of noise sounds like this. How many times have you waited like David and wondered 
what God's voice sounds like. You're waiting to hear it. How many times have you asked but not heard anything in reply? I mean, I think, I think all of us have been there at some point where we've wanted him to say anything. Tell me yes, tell me no, tell me anything, God. Tell me something, yet sometimes all we hear is white noise. And I believe it's during those difficult times where it's just silence, it's just white noise, it's the blaring quietness that you hear. It's those times that we have to draw on other people's testimonies and other people's experience with Jesus as we can see what happened to them and believe that it can happen to you too. Here's what happens in David's story. May it be encouraging to you. Verse uh, 2, let's read it again. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. Out of the mud and mire. I'm a visual guy, so when I hear words like that, all I can see is mud and mire. Have you ever been in a mud pit before? I have. When a little boy, you'd take the hose and you'd put it on the ground, or maybe there'd be a, a rainstorm and you'd get this mud pit and you'd just play in it for hours. Am I the only one? Okay, thank you. That could, that could be fun. We could do that out here on the field if we want to sometime. Rainy season, let's do it. When I was a little boy, 10 years old, on a Sabbath afternoon, my family said, hey, let's, let's go on a, white, a walk together. And so we lived on a farm, and just across the field was the local water treatment plant. A beautiful place for a Sabbath afternoon hike, the water treatment plant. Uh, it was really beautiful, actually, because it, it had a giant reservoir full of water. So it was like a giant lake. And so the, the intake station was down at the bottom of the Nolichucky River, and they'd pump the water up into the reservoir, this big lake, where they would let it filter down and go through all the filtration sand and different filters so that you'd get clear drinking water at the other end. And on top of this reservoir, there was a, a, a road that went all the way around. And so we'd go up there and we'd walk, and it was beautiful. My sister's two years older than me, and, and as we were walking around, we noticed down below that there were two more ponds down there but they didn't have any water in them. It was just thick, cracked, dried mud. And so we thought, let's go check it out. And so we head down there to these, these little ponds. And, and while my dad and mom and I were talking, Mindy, my sister, said, or she thought, I'm going to go walk out on this thing. And so she takes four or five big steps on top of this dry, cracked mud, and she sinks all the way to her waist in it. Oh, it was so sticky and mucky and gross, and we knew we couldn't go out and help her or we'd be stuck too, and so we just encouraged her. We laughed at her first. <laughs> then we encouraged her, come on, you can do this. And as she's trying to get her leg unstuck, finally she pulls it loose, but her shoe stays down under. We never got that shoe back. And as she finally frees herself and crawls out of the muck and we walk home, she's muddy from the waist down, one shoe off, she's kind of hopping along. She's rejoicing because she's no longer stuck in the muck. And David says the same thing. Verse 2, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. David's story changes. He goes from being alone and crying out to God and not hearing anything to this action of God pulling him out and setting him on firm rock. So something changes. And we know what happened in the change because it's a conversation that David has with Saul, the one chasing him. We read about it in 1 Samuel, and here's what it says. Saul says to David, 
He says, David, you are more righteous than I. You've treated me well, but I've treated you badly. You've just now told me about the good you did for me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you didn't kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? He goes on to the next part, says, May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you surely will be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. And David's soundtrack for his life changes from stuck in the muck to rejoicing. His new soundtrack, song of his life, sounds like this. Psalm 40, verse 3, here's what David says. David says, God put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. A new song, not the old one, a new one that God crafted and carefully picked for David. And David celebrated, he rejoiced, he, he, he sang it with his soul and with all his lungs and straight from his heart because God had given him a new song. This morning, we've all come in here with a song in our heart, with a soundtrack that's, that's beating, the soundtrack of your life. And I'm not sure what your song sounds like. But if I'm being honest, I don't care what your song sounds like now. What I do care about is the song that God can give you, the one that changes everything. So what is the song that God wants sung in your life. For some of you this morning, you struggle with negativity. It's just your nature. You're just critical. You focus on the negative. You find faults in others. You're always waiting to blame somebody else. You're, you're always looking down. Maybe you're depressed. Whatever that is, could it be that God has a new song for you and it sounds like this. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart to stay. Hmm. For others of you, you might struggle with doubt. Doubt that God is who he says he is doubt for the future, maybe doubt that he will come through for you in the end. And for you this morning, God has a new song, and it sounds like this. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I all I have needed, thy hand Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. For some of you this morning, you're really hurting. You've experienced pain and loss like you never thought you could ever experience. 
you're at your wit's end. You're ready to just hang up the towel and give up and quit. And for you, God has a new song that I think sounds like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows others of you this morning, you struggle with forgiveness. It's hard. Somebody did you wrong. They treated you unfairly. They pushed you to the margins. You were overlooked. Whatever happened, maybe God's giving you a new song that every single one of us know by heart because it's from Disney. I'm definitely getting fired today. Disney and the church, come on. Your soundtrack for forgiveness sounds like this. Let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go, turn away and slam the door. I know what you guys are watching tonight after the sun goes down. <laughs> in first service, there was a little girl that was kind of snoozing in the back, and she popped up so quick when that song came on. <laughs> The psalmist David, speaking about his own personal experience, he gives us instructions in Psalm chapter 61, and here's what he says. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. What's the song that God wants you to sing today? What does it sound like? And can you sing it? I want to pray for you this morning. Uh, especially those of you that want a new song, something that's given straight from God, tailor-made to you in your life. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we are humbled that you love us. Weak, frail, sinful humans, yet you care so much about us. God, we sing the song that's on our heart, but God, what we really want is the song that you want us to sing. Maybe it's a new song. Whatever that looks like, maybe it's a turn of a page in life, maybe it's a restart, maybe it's forgiveness, maybe it's something completely different. But God, we pray that you give us the song that you'd have us sing, and may we sing it with everything that we got. God, we love you, and we can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name.